What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode number nine of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. My name is Dan Ball, and we are coming to you live here during Thanksgiving break. So uh, the students aren't on campus right now, but the podcast never sleeps. Today we're talking to Trisha Fabry, the head coach of the Quinnipiac women's basketball team. She is in year number 24 at the helm of that team, and she's built it into a national superpower in terms of mid-major teams and even in terms of any women's college basketball program. And we got into that with her in the interview, which you'll hear in a couple minutes. But first, we want to go through everything that happened. It's the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. The women's volleyball program, we highlighted them on last week's episode of the podcast. They went into the first round of the MAC tournament down in Florida at the ESPN Wide World of Sports, and they picked up the win, the upset over number six Niagara. It was three sets to two in that match. Cat Miller shattered the program record for kills in a match with 34. The previous record was only 26. It was set by Shannon Dublin back in 1995, so an incredible match by Cat Miller, who continued to be on fire the final month of the season. Miller also had 30 digs becoming the first Bobcat to join the 30-30 club in a single match in program history. So that was the opening round win for the Bobcats. Uh, In the second round, however, they unfortunately fell to Fairfield in straight sets. That's three sets to zero. So that ends the career of Cat Miller, the only senior on this team. Uh, But she ends with just an illustrious career in terms of Quinnipiac for their Division I history. She was first all-time in sets played, second in kills, second in digs fourth in blocks, and second in service aces. So for her efforts, Cat Miller was unanimously picked to the All-Mac first team. Freshman Lydia Jones was also named to the All-Mac rookie team. She finished the season with 165 kills and a team-best 254 hitting percentage. Next up, it's the women's rugby program. Uh, They picked up the win in the first round of their NIRA tournament against Notre Dame College here uh, on campus in Hamden, Connecticut. They headed out to Dartmouth, Hanover, New Hampshire, to play in the NIRA semifinals against Harvard. They unfortunately lost that match, dropped it by a score of 47-8. Allison Koenig recorded her seventh try of the season in the loss, so that also ends the season for the women's rugby program, but a great season for them. Women's hockey continued their home schedule last weekend with two games in the ECAC Hockey Conference. They dropped their Friday night game by a score of 2-1 against number 6 Cornell. Brooke Bonsteel had her first goal of the season in the loss. They responded on Saturday with a 3-3 tie against Colgate, last year's NCAA runner-up. Melissa Samuskevich, Lexia Gia and Katie Tabin all scored for the Bobcats in that one. They play on Tuesday, so this episode comes out on Wednesday. I'm recording on Monday, so uh, you'll know the result of the game versus Merrimack by the time this episode comes out. But after that, they play in the Nutmeg Classic at Yale this weekend. They play against UConn on Friday, and depending on if they win or lose, they'll play the result of Providence and Yale on Saturday. The men's hockey team picked up two big wins on the road in ECAC play this past weekend. They had a comeback win against number 17 Cornell. The score was 4-2. The Bobcats were down 2-1 entering the third period before Joe O'Connor scored the game-tying goal. Chase Prisky then responded again with the game-winning goal. He banked it 
off the goalie, off the back glass, off the goalie again, and then in the net for the game-winning goal. He's so hot right now that even those dump-ins are going in the net. Alex Whalen picked up the empty net goal in that one, so the Bobcats won by a score of 4-2. The other goal came from Brogan Rafferty. That was a power play goal. Andrew Shortridge picked up the win in net. He made 21 saves to do so. On Saturday, the Bobcats came back with a 5-0 win at Colgate. Wyatt Bongiovanni had two goals, while Craig Martin, Luke Shiplow, and Daniel Winslow all scored as well. Keith Petrozelli picked up his second career shutout, making 21 saves. Uh, Wyatt Bongiovanni, he had two goals and an assist on the weekend, and for that effort, he picked up the ECAC Rookie of the Week award. Uh, that's the first time that a Bobcat got it since last year in January, when Oneid Tufto picked up both the ECAC Player and Rookie of the Week award. So congratulations to Wyatt for that. The Bobcats as a team are now ranked number 10 in the country in both the USCHO and USA Today polls. That was announced today, the day that I'm recording this. Uh, that's the highest rank right now of any ECAC hockey team. So uh, the Bobcats continuing to cook, now ranked in the top 10 in the country. They head on the road again this weekend out to Maine to do a non-conference battle with Hockey East's Black Bears on Friday and Saturday night. The men's basketball team returned home on Thursday. They unfortunately lost to the University of Hartford 68-54 in the Battle of I-91. Cam Young had 17 points and 6 rebounds, while Kevin Marfo had 10 boards of his own. Uh, the Bobcats also play on Tuesday, so you'll know the result of that when they head up to New Hampshire. Uh, and then they come back home on Sunday afternoon to do battle with Maine at 2 p.m. at the People's United Center. And the final team on today's rundown and the team that we're focusing on for today's episode, it's the women's basketball program. They picked up the win at Providence College last Thursday by a score of 48-44. to Jen Fay had 24 points. That's 50% of the total points that the Bobcats scored in that game. She also had 12 rebounds and 3 assists. Aaron McClure also had 12 points and 7 rebounds. So the Bobcats head down. They play in Florida on Friday at 5 o'clock in the evening against number eight University of Texas so playing against the Longhorns in the first game of that tournament then depending on if they win they'll play the winner or loser of Missouri and Michigan on Saturday at either 1:30 if they lose or 7:30 if they win the other games going on in the first round of that tournament are Fordham versus Ball State Duke versus Washington and Missouri versus Michigan and that's what we talked about on this episode with the head coach of the women's basketball team Trish Fabry in her 24 seasons as the Quinnipiac women's basketball coach she has just absolutely turned this program into a national contender now making the tournament two years in a row uh, she was named the MAC coach of the year in 2017-2018 she has 409 total victories that's the most in Quinnipiac program history since joining the MAC in 2013-14, the team has a total 86-12 record in MAC games. So you can just go down the list of accomplishments that this team has had since head coach Trisha Fabry has taken over. And I talked to her a little bit about that, taking over the program after playing down the road at Fairfield, what it took to uh, make the program into what it is today, and also a little bit about what she's seen in women's basketball, some of the changes that may have happened in the way that uh, players are coming up and being coached. And I also asked her about her relationship with UConn Gino Ariema. Of course, there were some relations going on between Quinnipiac and UConn when they met in the tournament last year so I asked her all about that and how they're trying to build the sport uh, in the state of Connecticut so without any further ado let's hear what Trisha Fabry had to say 
And we're back here on episode number nine of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. And today, we are honored to be joined by the head coach. Oh my God, Kiara Bacchini, come in here right now. Are you just getting your phone? Yes, she's getting her phone. That's she could she come did. in, though, if you want her to come in. Yeah, do you want to come in, sit in on an interview? I don't think, I don't think she wants to sit in the entire time. <laughs> Kiara, just say hello. Hi, hello. Hi, Hi Kiara. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, how was practice today? Great practice. Yeah. Get getting ready. ready. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel heading into tomorrow's game? Oh, uh, we are pretty confident. Yeah. We need to keep the energy up, and we were good. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. See you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. She's a good one. Yeah. Our little Italian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, yes, we are back here on episode number nine of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast, and we are honored to be joined by the twenty-fourth year head coach of the Quinnipiac women's basketball team, Trisha Fabry. Thank you for uh, thank you for taking the time. I know that you're we're about you guys are about to head off on a road trip, so uh, you know, heading off onto the uh, the bus tonight. So today uh, we're sitting down and one of the things that that I really want to get into is, you know, your history as both a player and a coach. Yep. And uh, you know, how Quinnipiac came to be and and some things along those lines. So first off um, played at Fairfield University, 1998 to 1991. There are there's quite the rap sheet of, of things back from your your playing career. Uh, all rookie in year number one and MAC first team in years two through four, part of the MAC 25th anniversary team. So that that explains things pretty well. That the the playing career went went well in college. But first off, I mean, after your playing career, mm-hmm. when did when did coaching become a become a reality? For yeah. You? So it's a it's a pretty good story. Um, you know, I came up the, uh, from South Jersey, um, played at Fairfield U, and um, absolutely loved my years at Fairfield. Like, you know, being a part of a team, having your teammates um, become your best friends, and, you know, being able to obviously do pretty well on the court um, and have a lot of success um, went hand in hand. But once graduation came up, um, I was – up for a uh, advertising job in New York City with Macy's, one of our, our business managers at the time, uh, had made a connection um, down there for me. So um, I thought that was going to be uh, the route that I was uh, going to be heading in. But uh, being a Jersey girl, uh, with all my high school friends, we you know needed to get a house down the Jersey Shore once I graduated. So I went and did that, and I actually was a cocktail waitress down at Bailey's uh, at the casino. And um, just kind of hanging out for the summer, um, waiting for the next step, and, and again, waiting for uh, maybe that phone call to go uh, up to Macy's for the advertising job. And in the meantime, Diane Nolan, who's currently doing uh, color radio for the Bobcats, had called my parents because I hate to really date myself. There were no cell phones at the time. Oh, wow. And called my parents and said, look, I have a grad assistant position that's open up on staff uh, do you think Trish would be interested? So my parents said, of course Trish would be interested. Um, she's not going to be a cocktail waitress the, the rest of her life with a Fairfield U education. We're going to put her right back up to Fairfield U. So I thought, you know what, this is a, a great opportunity. I love Fairfield um, coaching, you know, obviously hand in hand. Let's go up there um, and and see what we can do with this opportunity. And, um, boy, once I got into the coaching, the other side of things, I just absolutely fell in love with with staying a part of the game, being a part of the team, um, just from the other side. If it, I couldn't play, well, I might as well just coach and then really enjoyed just the opposite 
you know, the other side of, you know, still remaining a part of the team and out recruiting and putting the team together and being on the floor um, with were what were my best friends and now now coaching them. So uh, fell in love and never looked back since. And that's 24 years ago. Wow. I mean, so so you never really knew during during your playing career that that's necessarily where you wanted to go. Well, I mean, I enjoyed it because, you know, we all worked basketball camps all summer long. That was your summer job. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, you know, we went from camp to camp and college to college. Uh, and really enjoyed it. So you, you kind of had in the back of your mind, like, oh, this be, so, you know, something fun to do in the future. Um, but again, you know, didn't kind of pursue that. You know, looked a little bit overseas. There was a Luxembourg opportunity. But again, you know, my high school friends, you know, we, we always went down the Jersey Shore. And I just said, you know, I could do this for a summer and still look for an opportunity. And had, you know, you know irons in the fire a couple different places. But this this really opened up a door. And then once I was able to get two feet in back up at Fairfield, which at the time was, you know, again, such a really good program and Justin, you know, entrenched and really enjoyed, got the the coaching bug and really watched it grow from there. Four years on staff at Fairfield before the opportunity, um, you know, arose here at Quinnipiac. So how did the, this opportunity come about? Because I mean, now it's, it's, it's 24 years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, that Quinnipiac came calling. So how, how did that, uh, how was that opportunity presented to you? And then why'd you end up coming here? Yeah. So, you know, I was four years, four additional years at Fairfield, um, besides playing there. So it was a total of eight years and I was engaged to get married. Um, a position opened up, you know, head coaching position, division two at the time, right up the road. I figured, um, hey, I'm 25, 26 years old. I'm ready to become a head coach. Uh, you know, to be young again, you know, to think that you know it all, wow, you know, wide-eyed. <laughs> um, and just threw my hat in the ring, took a drive up. I had been to a lot of colleges, a lot of college campuses, didn't really know much about Quinnipiac, and came up, watched them play uh, down in Concord. It saw the campus again to everybody who arrives here on campus it was like everybody else said, wow, what a beautiful campus. Yeah, it's, it's a big selling factor from yeah, a, a lot of people. You know, that we've and talked at to. the time it was just Mount Carmel campus. I mean, wow, yeah. you know, the two other campuses did not um, they were not even, you know, in the planning stages yet. Um, so I just threw my hat in the ring. Uh, a couple of people included Gino Oriema and uh, another one. My in-laws knew an, another uh, familiar uh, name, Johnny Aquilari, knew Burt Kahn very well. And they all made phone calls and, you know, was lucky, you know, and fortunate enough to uh, get, you know, interviewed with Burt Kahn. And I'm convinced when I went in for my interview with Burt Kahn and his, his two golden labs that I, I was um, unfazed by them. Uh, in the interview process, happy to see me when I walked in the door <laughs> and was, you know, able to, you know, effectively, I guess, uh, handle the pro- the interview um, that I got the job at the, you know, in 95. And matter of fact, the first day, uh, my starting date, July 1, 1995, was also the day I got married. So oh, man. as soon as I got the job, I got married and went on a honeymoon for 10 days. <laughs> I got off the plane from Italy. Um, my husband went back to Connecticut and I headed out recruiting. Oh, wow. So, so, so you, you, you get the job and then you said you, you, it was the program was division two at the time. Correct. So what's the process of now starting to recruit players and, and starting to build your own program? Cause I mean, you're coming with, from a program with a storied history in Burt Kahn and as a coach. So how do you try to make the program your own and, and start to build your own <clears throat> team? Yes. So in that transition, um, with, I didn't, with Burt hiring me, uh, as, 
the first full-time female head coach, um, I did not realize that Bert was also retiring, that I was also coming in with a new athletic director in Jack McDonald. So that was a little bit of an interesting uh, transition. So um, we didn't have full-time assistants, and I knew that coming in. It really was with Jack coming in and with then – President John Leahy, um, they were deciding, really negotiating, that they really had bigger plans to move Quinnipiac from Division Two to Division One at that time. Those talks, uh, when we came in, it was a very small Division Two, um, you know, under-resourced, n- no, no assistant coaches. So it was really, again, coming from Fairfield, where I had played in NCAA tournaments and coached. Uh, in championship games, it really was a st- you know a big step back in terms of okay here we go from the ground up and it was hard. Those first two years were really really difficult, um, and it was almost as if we were starting a program um, from you know the day one step one, and to watch the process unfold was really just roll up your sleeves. And let's just go out and find and work with the young ladies that we had in the program at the time to coach them up and get them better one day at a time. But it's also, um, you know, was going out and just going to where the resources where we had recruited at Fairfield and the connections um, that we had developed and the relationships on the road that we had developed going back to them and talking to them and recruiting those young ladies to Quinnipiac. So when did you start to really see everything come to fruition? And, oh, my God, now this, this vision is really starting to become a reality here. Oh, wow. It that took a lot of a lot of young ladies commitment to just get it competitive. And it really not only competitive, we in three years went from division one from excuse me, division two to division one in a short amount of time. And a lot of resources were then, you know, coming to athletics um, to get some assistance in um, budget and operating budget and, and full time assistance. But, you know, I look at, you know, we have some plenty of memorabilia over here in the office oh man yeah i i look over to the kim mishashik's the jamie butner's the colin klopp's back in the early days where we got into we were a shot away from getting into a championship game early in the nec days division one the first year we went division one in the nec we made the playoffs and only the top eight teams made it so we made strides early on but to get to a winning season certainly took some time and there was a lot of struggle but you know anything good, you know it's worth it's worth the struggle, and and we certainly, you know, step by step really built it. Um, and there's no shortcuts to success. It took it took time. So just to give a a context for exactly what kind of turnaround this program has seen, the first year that you were talking about, two and twenty three, yeah, and a one and fifteen record in what at the time was the Northeast Ten Conference, I believe. The NE Ten to this day produces national Division two powerhouses. We were playing with the Bentleys and the Stonehills, um, AIC at the time. They right. were all national powers. Wow. I mean, and then now we're at the point where this program hasn't seen uh, a losing season since 2001, 2002. Yes. So, I mean, that's in less than a decade even being able to get that kind of sustained uh, dominance, really. Yep. But fast, fast forward a little bit now, this program has seen – Absolutely incredible results the last five ten years. Uh, just the the rap sheet uh, of this of this program, eighty six and twelve in MAC games since the thirteen fourteen season, uh, which was the year that you joined the MAC. 
Um, NCAA tournament appearances in 2013, 15, 17, and 18. Uh, MAC regular season titles, 2014, 15 season till now. Um, three, four, multiple MAC tournament titles. I mean, you can go down the list of of just the the amount of accomplishments that this team has had. But I guess focusing in really since that the season when Quinnipiac joined the MAC. Mm-hmm. What's been the recipe for success? Why has all of a sudden this program become a team that's getting number one in the mid-major poll and, and getting votes in the USA Today top 25 poll? What's been what's been that next level factor for the team since joining the MAC? The young ladies that say yes to this program, uh, they are they are women of character that are highly motivated to be successful not only on the basketball court but as young ladies in the classroom, um, as teammates, as friends, um, they really are exceptional. I mean, they really are exceptional young ladies of character. You know, just what they're able to balance um, at the Division One level, at a university that is high academics, um, and really enjoy being their best and, and having a really good time. So I think we do our homework in the young ladies and the families that we attract into the program, but it's really the quality of the young lady that really sees um, a, a, a university and an athletic program that offers them the opportunity to really excel in every phase and, and allows them to take the next step for them to be better once they say uh, and graduate from Quinnipiac. So. It's all about the young ladies that say yes to this program and then how they help each other and, and grow each other, not only in basketball, but in friendships. And, you know, I think a hallmark of our program is in adverse situations like finding success in plan B. Um, they've been so great. And that just goes back to just resiliency and perseverance, plus just really having a confidence um, to be not only their best, but being their best for everybody who's around them. So, I mean, this is this. I mean, I don't want to come off as saying something obvious, but I mean, you're looking for that balance of not only on the court skill, uh, but off the court work ethic, being able to balance things in the classroom and also having, you know, from from a personality standpoint, being able to get along with everybody in the room. Yeah, they're just, you know, success attracts success. Um, and there's just a quality of these young ladies that are really motivated Um to achieve beyond and that's probably the best way I can I think articulate that yeah that they're not really satisfied with just getting through the day that they want to win each day and whatever that is by getting up and going to their class by uh, holding the door for somebody that's coming through or giving a little pick-me-up to someone who's having a tough one it's all those characteristics that make these young ladies great, and that just transcends through the basketball court and through everyone. So, I mean, you you've been now with Quinnipiac for twenty four years, mm-hmm. twenty eight years in coaching, and four years uh, four years playing in college. So, you've seen a great deal of basketball. Yes. This is a broad question, and yes. you can really kind of go go wherever you want with it. But what are the changes that you've seen in the sport as a whole yeah. since when you started, and now where you are now? Well, I didn't play with the three-point shot, so I love that. Obviously, that has just transformed the game, and you're just seeing the excitement right now. Um, and they're talking about it just in the uh, the series right now that's on ESPN, just the three-point shot and Steph Curry, how 
I mean, it just is, you know, if you're shooting 32%, that's like shooting um, from the three-point line. That's as shooting as, as well as um, 50% from twos. So how that has just changed the game. Um, for us in most recent years, the last two years, the, the committee to change to four quarters in the women's side and the ability to advance the ball the last minute of the game has made our game so much better, so much um, more drama and more fun and strategy uh, to play the game. And I think the, re the result has been the women's Final Four last year uh, was the best ever and going into the, the WNBA season this year has, is, has just been fantastic. The, the fact that so many more young women are playing the game and the opportunities in the past 40 years, um, it's just evidenced by just how our camp um, has been, you know, we, we can't open it up to everyone to make sure we have a quality camp, but just how it closes out every year. So how many young ladies are playing basketball, having that opportunity, and then how, how that is um, allowed just the, the skill development the athlete itself just continue to evolve to be better. Um, the game is at is really at its highest level right now in terms of entertainment and viewership, um, and it, at the level it's being played. Um, and I think it's, you know, again going back to how we've changed those games into the four quarters of the last two years, and just the opportunity and how vast it is um, with everybody being able um, with more opportunities over the course of the last forty years. Um, with the Title IX, to get that opportunity has made a real impact on the level of athlete um, and the level of a young lady that we have playing the game. Right. That's, I mean, you, you can see the, the, the country, the nationwide changes, changes that are coming. And it's funny that a couple small game details can have that big of an yeah. impact. But you, you mentioned the camps. So, I mean, uh, you and your players are working, working directly with the, the younger, ba younger women's basketball players. Yes. What are you trying to to impart on them? What do you What are the some of the lessons that you're trying to get get to them at a younger age? Well, I think camp obviously is you want to teach them the game of basketball, but during the summer we have so much fun with them, and yeah. I think ultimately what their the campers, what our young ladies get is really just really great self esteem, um, and not only get to learn basketball um, by you know enjoying each other's company, and I get I think through camp because now it's so easy to sit in front of the screen with technology and cell phones that they really get to develop and, and communicate face to face, which I think is becoming harder and harder um, with young people these days. You know, I have a son who's a junior in high school um, and I, I see that it's just like, okay, I'll just shoot him a text and the, the ability to communicate face to face is becoming harder and harder and that's more uncomfortable for them to talk to a person as opposed to just go through a screen. And um, I, I think that that FaceTime with the younger people is really important to connect. And I think those those values that they learn during camp um, and they get to see from their their own Quinnipiac women's basketball heroes on game day that they they, you know, that builds real esteem and to have a real hero that they can come and watch and see all year long um, is so important. Um, these days and I think camp really brings that full circle um, and it's becoming more of a challenge and a, a bit of a lost art for these young kids so I think we can we provide really great role models I talk about you know what separates our team you know or what makes our team great and I think it really is the young ladies wearing the Quinnipiac uniform and 
that's really great role models for these young ladies, their campers, to get to see them firsthand all winter long and come back and get to meet up with them in the summertime. That's really important to us. That's such a, that's an amazing concept too, because I mean, you know, we're, we are college students. We're between 18 and 22 years old. So the age gap is, is not that large. It Correct. Could be, you know, a, you know, 10, maybe 15 years, but you can really kind of make a, a quite the role model and in, in an idol of sorts out of some of these players. So, I mean, there, there, there's no better role model than somebody like that. I, it's an interesting concept that, yeah. that, that you're talking about there. So before we get to the 2018 squad, um, there was a lot made last year over uh, Gino Auriemma and his response to the Quinnipiac program being in the national tournament, mm-hmm. wearing the wearing the T-shirt at the press conference. Uh, you can see that online if you haven't got the chance to. But, I mean, first of all, um, you know, what what have your interactions with him been like? And, and you know, what's the, the, the conversations been like between the two of you guys? Well, I Gino is a, is a Philly boy, and I'm a South Jersey girl. So we, we do have roots um, back into the Philly area. And I, I like to think that, you know, Philly, everyone who's from Philly is, uh, is a, a little bit, you know, always connected in, in our, in our origins, but, um, he has a very good friend or actually his, his really good friend right now of his wife, but she played for him in Megan Patterson, um, former player. And, and she and I are of the same, uh, peer group. So we've been able to develop a good relationship over the years through that connection. And, um, she's always been a big fan of mine. Um, and, and it's always been probably with that eye that Megan has kept Gina abreast of, um, what Quinnipiac has been up to and how, you know, Trisha's doing with the program down there. And, uh, Chris Daly is, is always well-versed in what every school is doing in the country. She's amazing. And, uh, the newest inductee into the women's basketball hall of fame. So, um, you know, it's just been, you know, and obviously we're in Connecticut, so he yeah. knows what's going on. Uh, it's just been that growth. And then they were out watching just our game, you know, down at Miami and, and he's never one to shy away with, you know, how he feels about, you know, anything. And he really respected just our grit and tenacity. And, and he was really true in what he said that our team two years ago playing Miami in the sweet 16 reminded him of Megan Patterson and Curry Bascom and Jamel Elliott and those teams. And I, that's when I was playing. So I, I, you know, I, I saw that in us and that's how it got started. And, and, and we were able to validate it again with another win over Miami, but he, you know, respects good basketball and and teams that are not going to back down from anyone. And that's really Gino. He doesn't really shy away from anything. So that was good for the state of, you know, you know, for women's basketball in the state of Connecticut and continue to go, you know, build that relationship. And he's always been a really good friend and, you know, really positive and fun uh, to banter, you know, uh, you know, have good conversations with when I see him on the road and around. And, um, you know, I, I consider him a, a really good basketball friend. And uh, I go up and watch his practices. We went up last year. Um, you know, we're, you know, always, you know, you know, talking about basketball when we see each other on the road. But the fact that, you know, he's he's built the best dynasty in women's basketball to take time out of his day to really acknowledge uh, a team that was reminded him of where he was, where he started, and what we're trying to continue to keep going here. Um, he didn't have to do it, and it was nice that he did do it because that's the guy Gino is. And I mean, as a as a resident of Connecticut, it, it, it warms it warms my heart, quite frankly, to be able to see 
you know, a relationship between two, two schools and see, you know, one national powerhouse acknowledging the other and, and really trying to kind of together grow the sport. Yes. Um, that's, I mean, it's been a great, a yeah. great thing to see from a third party perspective. So when we went up there last year, you know, we were like kind of, you know, when we saw we were going up and seeing obviously in the ninth seed, you know, it was a, a, a nice respectful, you know, seed from our body of work done all year long. Yeah. Um, but you see, you know, UConn looming there as the number one over, overall seed when you're trying to get back to a sweet 16. But in the end, when we were going up to stores, I thought it was a real kind of tip of the cap from the committee to allow us the opportunity to stay in state, to continue to grow our fan base um, and be adopted by the UConn fans. Because that's truly what happened from the year before with Gino, um, you know, really plugging our program we had 5,000 people still sticking around after UConn played St. Francis PA and root our team to victory. And I had random emails all that week going, hey, coach, we're going to be excited to watch you play against Miami. Do do your thing. Let's get that win. We, we would love to see an all-Connecticut second-round game. And really kind of walking out when we were able to beat Miami again in advance to the second round to see UConn, and to walk out on the biggest stage that night in front of 9,000 people and for ESPN to televise that game and not break from it. And from our young ladies, our team, to really compete um, again in front of 9,000 on the biggest stage, uh, it, it really was quite a thrill. And it really did put our program in the best light um, for our brand of basketball and where we want to continue to go with this program. And it, I, I remember uh, when I was I was researching for both of these, it was I, I believe it was either the third or fourth lowest point total that they had that that team had put up in in, in their entire season. I mean that that's no that's mo- no small accomplishment. It for, was uh, thirteen at half. Yeah, you know, we we took the air of the ball, and and um, he knew it was a matter of time that we would have to start going up and down because you know as time would have it, we weren't going to hold the ball. We were just going to you know end up losing. So we right. had to make some adjustments, but. You know, we tried to put our, our, our team in the best position to go win that game, and they responded. So let's talk uh, Let's talk 2018 quickly here. The team is 1-1 one and one so far on the season, mm-hmm. heading out on the road. Uh, well, we're, we're recording this the week before Thanksgiving, so this, this you'll already know. the uh, Everybody listening will know the result by the time that this goes up. But uh, heading out on the road tomorrow against Providence, mm-hmm. early on in the season through the first couple weeks of practice and first two games, what have you seen from this team? What can we what can we expect from the 2018-19 squad? Yeah, you know, we we are trying to right now. Um, our our strength has always been our identity has been with five in and five out. We've been a little bit nicked up, not to really get in our identity and groove of the five in and the five out. So um, that we're still trying to get healthy to manifest and, and get into that. So with that being said, you know, we went on the road and we saw Drexel and we saw Bucknell. Drexel's, you know, a really good team. So is Bucknell. We gutted out a good win against Drexel. Bucknell, um, another really good team. We had a bad third quarter. They capitalized on that. Um, Still, out of eight quarters of basketball, seven good quarters. So we learned from that. And we were going in to see a really hot um, Providence team who was up 15 on Penn State at Penn State, lost a heartbreaking uh, game um, by two. And we're going to – our non-conference schedules, every game is really difficult, so we're testing ourselves again tomorrow night against Providence and then heading out to the Florida Gulf Coast Showcase. What, um, what's the value of, of – I mean, you got the the tough out-of-conference schedule, out-of-conference schedule yep. that we've seen the last couple of years. 
for this program, you know, what's the value of playing of some of these other out-of-conference mid-major teams? So basically it's putting ourselves in a position to win in March um, with the MAC tournament and winning a MAC championship. You're getting a seed to give yourself an opportunity to win the first round game in the, in the NCAA tournament. So it's not getting that low 16, 15 seed that you're playing at 12 and then getting a nine. So you're putting yourselves in that position to win that first round game uh, in the NCAA tournament. So right now, you know, I think it's still identify, you know, an identity. I think it's, uh, you know, we're turning the ball over just a little bit too much, trying to identify again, uh, the passing of a torch of a point guard spot and, and getting uh, us offense transition into half court where we're taking better care of the basketball. We've been gritty on defense. So still trying to gel everybody all together, yeah. especially the younger ones with the older ones. Um, but this team is talented, um, and we're going to go out and compete. So compete and win every possession. Um, still trying to get our identity with the five in and the five out and develop everybody. Okay. Um, so I know you're very busy, got to head out on the road. So we have just three questions that we always ask to every guest. These are the personal questions, the real thinkers. Okay. All right. First one, uh, if you could live anywhere in the world that is not Hamden, Connecticut, because of course this would be the number one pick, where would it be and why? Ocean City, New Jersey, my favorite place on earth. Okay. All right. Quick, uh, quick and easy. Is it right on the water, right on the shore? Absolutely. Yeah. Favorite spot. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, if you could have dinner with one person, either alive or deceased, or one of both, who would it be and why? Could wow. be family. Could be a professional. Jeez. We've had a couple founding fathers. There's a lot to pick from. Holy cow. <laughs> dinner. Okay. Well, this is kind of an easy one. That's okay. So I'm going to go with Oprah Winfrey. Sure. So um, we discussed her before we started for oh, her podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely if I could just do if I could do two, it would be Oprah Winfrey and, and Gail. So Oprah and Gail, I love those two. So I know if I if I hit the lotto, I would definitely make sure that happened. So if yeah. I could pick one person for dinner or, or two, because Gail and Oprah are best friends, that would be my two. Okay. Uh, and lastly, uh, you are on death row. What is your final meal? Dinner, drink, and dessert. This can be something from a, a hometown restaurant, something just something more yeah, generic it, from the it, calf. Who knows? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it, it's just you know a, a fillet, uh, scalloped potatoes, uh, roasted Brussels sprouts, uh, Chardonnay, um, and I wouldn't do dessert because I have my wine. <laughs> just a little, just a, a nice, yeah. uh, nice second, second glass, second yeah. bottle for dessert. Yeah, awesome. Well, Coach Fabry, thank you so much for taking the time today, and uh, best of luck moving on here in the season. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it here on episode number nine of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Matt and I will be back in the studio with another episode next week. That'll be episode number 10, and I really can't believe we got there already. But in the meantime, make sure you go online to QuinnipiacBobcats.com. You can get your stats, scores, rosters, tickets, merch, anything you may need from the Bobcats Nation right there on QuinnipiacBobcats.com. Make sure you follow all of these social media accounts. It's at QU Athletics for the main page and at QU underscore WBB. If you want to follow the women's basketball account on Twitter, you can follow Matt at M McCall of seven, and you can also follow myself at Dan Ball B A H L. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will see you for next week's episode. And hey, happy Thanksgiving from all of us here at Bobcat Nation. We'll see you next week.
The theme song of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click.